Good afternoon and welcome to the Friday edition of the Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. Coming up this afternoon, we'll hear from the Executive Director with the Canadian Food Grains Bank. Also, Mary Robinson, President of the Canadian Federation of Agriculture, will stop by to talk about the group's election priorities. And up first in today's country comment, we'll get an insect update from provincial entomologist John Gavlosky. The latest farm news and market numbers all coming up over the next 60 minutes. The time now is 12 o'clock. Here's a look at our local news. Good afternoon. You're listening to the Manitoba Farm Journal. Joining us on the program today is the province's entomologist, John Gavlosky, to give us an insect update starting with grasshoppers. So with grasshoppers, their levels are moving around a lot right now. Um, so levels are still fairly high. Uh, usually it's into September before we really start seeing the, the noticeable drops. So for another week or two, you'll probably still be seeing some fairly high levels. Uh, but again, they're moving around now. So some of the crops that they would have been in, in earlier have probably uh, dried to the point where they're not as appealing, which gets them moving. Also, if people are cutting ditches and things, that gets them moving. So you just have to keep an eye. Um, I've, I've talked to people who are growing canola, also corn growers, who say that they're noticing a lot moving into the edges of some of the fields. And I know some people have been uh, doing some management around some field edges as they see these populations moving in. Diamondback uh, moth, uh, talk a little bit about that. So Yeah, diamondback moth, it's uh, quite a small moth, and they don't overwinter well here. They blow in. And the one that we do monitor for, and uh, we had a, a, I'll call it a, a moderate to high population that blew in um, kind of late. And our, our traps probably didn't pick up the extent of it. Um, the, the heaviest levels seem to be in the eastern interlake and central region. Haven't had too many reports from the southwest or northwest. Um, their caterpillars are, are very tiny green caterpillars. They're crucifer specialists. So the only thing they feed on is things in the uh, cruciferous family. So uh, canola, mustards, cabbage, um, any of your cruciferous vegetables, that's what they feed on as larvae. Um, one way to know that it's diamondback moth and not another green larva, uh, if you shake the plants and they dangle on little threads, uh, that'll be diamondback moth. That's a typical behavior as they try to escape. And for canola growers, what we suggest you do, if you think you've got uh, quite a few of them, is take about a foot square of plants and shake them over something and see how many drop out. If you're getting about 20 or 30 in a foot square of plants, that's what we consider our economic threshold. And one word of caution, some people have been out using sweep nets and notice they, they're getting quite a few of the caterpillars in their sweep net. We don't really have a way of correlating numbers in a sweep net to economic damage. So do shake some plants out and see if you can find them that way. Flea beetles and canola, that, is that starting to, I guess, become an issue again? Or Yeah, and uh, now canola can handle a, a fairly heavy flea beetle pressure late in the season. So... Uh, we don't want people to panic and overreact to seeing flea beetles in their canola late in the season. There's always some there. Um, realistically, you need literally hundreds per plant for it to um, really be a, an economic situation. 
someone tried to develop an economic threshold for late-season flea beetles and really didn't give us a hard and fast number because the, the, the level is, is quite high, again, into the hundreds per plant. Now, we have seen exceptional circumstances where they were literally feeding right through pods um, at very, very heavy levels. Usually in cases like that, it's an edge effect, and we do know of people that have been uh, treating for flea beetles. The, the tricky part this year is uh, some people have diamondback moth, flea beetles, and maybe even a little bit of ligus bug. So uh, some people are dealing with a complex of insects in their canola crops. Last one here I wanted to touch on uh, spider mites in, in soybeans. Yeah, so spider mites are tiny, and the first thing you would notice in the field is the leaves are turning color maybe a bit quicker than normal, and if you look at them carefully, they, they will have uh, a webbing on them. So sometimes it's hard to tell spider mite um, feeding damage from just natural senescence that's happening, but if you see a lot of webbing, that's an indication that spider mites might be there. Now, they're almost microscopic. Uh, to see them on the plants, unless they're moving, it's really hard to see them. What I suggest doing is taking some sort of hard surface that you can shake a few leaves over. Uh, one good option is just a clipboard, a dark clipboard, or a clipboard with a piece of black construction paper or something works really good. And if you shake the plants over your hard surface, you'll see these little specks that start moving around. It might just look like debris until it starts moving um, uh, like dust almost. They're very tiny. They're less than a half a millimeter long. So you do have to shake and look for that movement. Often there's an edge effect with spider mites, and um, the soybeans are susceptible when the seeds are still developing. But once you get to the point where the seeds are fully formed, they call it the R6 stage in soybeans, that's when the crop is a bit more tolerant and you probably don't need to worry about spider mites in your soybeans. That was provincial entomologist John Gavlosky. A look at what's happening in the markets this afternoon is coming up. Good afternoon. I'm Corey Canute. Keystone Agricultural Producers has outlined its priorities for the upcoming federal election. One of those priorities focuses on business risk management programs. Graham Schellenberg is CAPS Communications and Government Relations Coordinator. We know that producers face a lot of uncontrollable economic and production risks each year, and, and we've been hearing that uh, you know, business risk management programs in their current form need some, need some adjustments. And, uh, you know, CAP's view is that BRM programs with some adjustments uh, can be effective uh, as a support for the industry. Really, we're focused on ensuring, and, and this kind of uh, aligns well as, as the, uh, the next policy framework discussions continue, we really think that programs should enable producers to strategically manage those risks. Most importantly, they need to be predictable, stable, and timely. Other election priorities for CAP focus on the role of producers as environmental stewards, economic development, and public trust in agriculture. And it appears CP Rail outperformed CN during the 2020-2021 crop year. Milt Poyer with QGI Consulting compiles the statistics for the Ag Transport Coalition. In the latest Grain by Train podcast, he noted that CP led the way in every quarter when it came to rail car order fulfillments. They were better than CN week in and week out, basically for 52 weeks. And in a lot of those weeks, it wasn't even close. CN, on the other hand, was a different story, to say the least. The year started poorly for CN, and it kind of stayed there. 
August-September period was impacted by crew shortages on CN, so performance suffered for that. Ploye says for the 2021-22 crop year, the summer drought will mean less grain to move, but that doesn't necessarily mean better rail performance. That was a look at today's farm news. I'm Corey Canute. Good afternoon and welcome to the Prairie Eggwire for Friday, August 20th. I'm Corey Canute. Coming up today, we'll chat with Canadian Federation of Agriculture President Mary Robinson about next month's federal election. Joining us now is Mary Robinson, President of the Canadian Federation of Agriculture, to talk about the group's election priorities as we head towards the September 20th federal election. A main priority of the sector is to increase funding for the next ag policy framework. The Federation of Agriculture is just calling on governments to create a national direct payment program to compensate producers for environmentally beneficial practices. So that's a direct payment program. Uh, we're hoping they will develop a strategy to address geopolitical barriers to trade and also competitors' trade supports because we know that that's an issue for us, particularly when you when you look south. And we've heard about how. Um, the federal government and the states had a plug-and-play program really to help ranchers deal with their hay shortage, and it did put some pressure on, on hay inventory in the prairies that instead uh, got shipped to Texas. So looking for some more help there. And uh, I guess the third point will be enhancing risk management responsiveness to supply chain, you know, kind of in that, in that same theme with the hay, you know, the... the um, the climate-related disruptions and the supply chain disruptions we've seen over the past couple of years, uh, we just don't have a super quick response to those. So hoping that government will recognize that we need to have a, a greater sense of uh, confidence and security that, that something's going to happen and it's going to happen in a, in a timely enough fashion that it will be meaningful. And one of the other priorities here listed um, had to do with uh, leveraging agriculture's environmental benefits, um, uh, carbon tax exemptions. Um, Talk about what you'd like to see there. Well, yeah, establishing that carbon pricing exemption for necessary climate change mitigation activities. So if there's something you've got to do in response to all of the the repercussions of climate change, you shouldn't have having to pay a carbon tax on for example if you have to put irrigation in that that should uh, not face a carbon tax and um, we're hoping to see um, the implementation of an accessible broad suite of agricultural offset protocols as well and hoping they'll create additional ecological goods and services program we did see the, the on-farm climate action fund announcements in in recent days and more of that is really what we need to see because over and over we say that uh, producers are the ones that really face the full brunt of climate change and at the same time we possess some of the greatest opportunities for mitigation. So we need we need some help investing in that in order to really capture the full potential that we, we embody as far as mitigation efforts. Farmers continue to deal with um, issues with infrastructure, um Transportation, broadband access, uh, and skills development were, were highlighted here by, by CFA. Um, talk about some of those challenges and, and what you'd like to see from the parties. Yeah, so this is certainly a big one. Uh, I guess they're all big ones, but agriculture is huge as is the potential. So I think in regard to critical infrastructure, you know, strategically investing in two intercontinental 
sorry, interconnected national initiatives, the One Health Canada and the Growing Canada, to modernize and upgrade our labs. You know, we work with the Dean's Council, and they've really highlighted that without that investment in labs and classrooms and research equipment, that we can't really be uh, successfully training um, the future highly skilled agro workforce that we're going to need. So when you look around the world, that puts us at a disadvantage. Um, we also want to see the, um, in regard to uh, connectivity, you know, we want to see a reestablishing of the CRT's high cost service area fund uh, and maybe uh, establishing a basic minimum standards for services and rates. We know that rural broadband is not only about doing business, which is a necessity now on farms, uh, but it's also about lifestyle. So we need to see that addressed. Um, and then in regard to the National Trade Corridor Fund, we think that, that really should be not only maintained but grown. And we are looking as well at the maximum revenue entitlements and thinking that should, uh, for the railways, that, that costing review needs to happen in order to recalibrate that, uh, that maximum revenue entitlement. Any, um, I know there's a number of priorities here, but um, any, anything else that you wanted to highlight? Well, I think just in general, um, you know, in, in regard to the more funding and support, we need more timely and defined risk management support for natural disasters like fish dredge. And we need um, more simple and direct payments to producers for ecological goods and services. And I, I guess the last thing would be that, that comprehensive and strategic approach to geopolitical trade issues and growing domestic supports on the part of the U.S. These, these are big, big issues here. And uh, we need to maybe uh, see government acting more quickly. I won't say maybe. We need to see government acting more quickly so that there's not as much time given to uh, evaluating and, uh, and, and consulting, but instead, uh, you know, on one of the calls I was on, someone said, the U.S. government's got these programs on the shelf ready to pull out when these disasters hit. But in Canada, what we do is we have to stand around and look at our belly button for a little while and talk about it before we decide what to do. So in that time frame, there's so much important uh, opportunity lost. And that, again, going back to that confidence for producers, if producers know they have the support of government when these, these things happen that are well beyond the control of producers, then they, these producers will make investments and they will strengthen agriculture and we will then be in a better position to capture all of the good, for example, that Dominic Barton highlighted in his report back in 2017. So we just, we need government acting more as our agent and, and helping, helping us really uh, realize our potential. That was Mary Robinson, President of the Canadian Federation of Agriculture, outlining the group's election priorities. That's it for the Prairie Eggwire for today. If you have any questions or opinions to share, send them to us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. I'm Corey Canute. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. The Prairie Eggwire will return next week on the Golden West Farm Network. Time now for a look at the farm calendar. Manitoba Beef Producers is hosting a webinar on mental well-being in times of crisis, August 24th at 7 p.m. This will be done via Zoom. You can register on the Manitoba Beef Producers website. And the Canadian Beef Industry Conference has been rescheduled and moved to an online format for August 31st to September 2nd. Details at CanadianBeefIndustryConference.com. Continuing with the Manitoba Farm Journal here on this Friday afternoon, we're joined now by Andy Harrington, Executive Director with the Canadian Food Grains Bank. So the government has announced $155 million uh, for famine relief um, across the world. 
um, of which uh, Food Grains Bank is very pleased to have been um, allocated $10 million. So we're the first civil uh, society organization that's actually uh, had that allocation. Um, it's really important because famine is increasing at the, across the world. Um, we've been seeing progress for many years uh, in terms of the reduction of hunger, but we've actually seen that reversed and, and um, become far, far worse uh, in the last year. So we have 41 million people, which is uh, an increase. Uh, they're at risk of famine. They're, they're in famine-like conditions at the moment. We're seeing the increase of hunger across the world uh, being quite dramatic. We have a, a, approximately, it could be as many as 161 million po more people that are undernourished this year than they were last year, uh, largely due to the effects of uh, the economic consequences of COVID, what we're seeing in, in climate change, uh, what we're seeing in displaced people with conflict. Uh, so it's, a, it's very welcome and, um, uh, and will be well used by a Food Grains Bank and our members. Yeah, I guess what would be some of those regions where you're, um, you have your focus right now? Yeah, so, so um, regions that uh, we're focusing on at the moment would be regions that are at, at worst risk of famine. So you'd be looking at um, uh, locations such as Tigray in Ethiopia, uh, South Sudan. Uh, you'd be looking at some of the things that are happening in, in uh, some parts of Nigeria, uh, some parts of the Congo, Madagascar. So they're areas that we would consider to be the most at risk in terms of the worst, um, the worst aspects of hunger. Now, this uh, ten million is that in addition to, I guess, your regular funding, or it is. It's new funding for us. So we we started a program uh, last year. Uh, it was called the uh, Humanitarian Early Re Relief and Development Program. Um, it was a ten million dollar program, and it, it's really designed to to meet immediate humanitarian needs uh, and to then have a longer term sustainable development uh, side to it. So so this will be added to that with a particular focus on on famine relief and reduction. So we're looking at really working around nutrition. Uh, we're, we're looking at combating uh, malnutrition within that. But we're really going to be focusing this on those who are in the most need in the world. I was out at a um, grow project uh, harvest this week. Um, I know those are starting up now. I guess um, it, it's been a tough year here for farmers, yeah. but how, how are the projects, I guess, uh, looking? Well, first of all, thanks for going, Curry. Uh, we appreciate that. We love our uh, uh, supporters to be able to go and see what's, what's happening in the, the grain projects. The grain projects are such a, a crucial part of, of uh, Food Grains Bank. We're, we're hearing very mixed reports in terms of um, uh, the harvests that are happening. As you know, right across the country, we've experienced the most unusual weather conditions this year. So some areas are really struggling on that. Uh, and we're seeing some crop yields that could be a, as low as half of what we'd normally see. Uh, other areas have done well. Uh, we're seeing um, some, good, some good harvest there. So very mixed results, but we're very concerned for our farming um, community, our, our farming uh, supporters out there, and, and farmers right across the country are really having to struggle with some, some very, very difficult conditions this year. Uh, will, will some of the higher price, uh, higher commodity prices maybe make up for some of that? Or? Yeah, yeah, we, that's, a, that's a very good point, and we have been thinking that through. So because of higher commodity prices, obviously if you have a lower yield, we're going to have... Uh, higher prices. It's uh, the, the normal supply and demand situation. So I, I think that might uh, make up for that to a degree. Uh, we won't know for a couple of months in terms of how it will compare to how things were uh, last year for um, uh, for food grains. We, we saw a very good year last year because harvest was so good. But as you say, commodity prices are higher. And, and in the end, all that money will go to feed um, people around the world. So, so the more we can raise, the, the better it can be. Uh, and the other aspect of that is some of our supporters are being incredibly creative in this time of COVID. 
they've, do, they've done an awful lot of uh, online fundraisers, auctions, all sorts of things. And, and just the, the ability of them to stand with, uh, with us and their, their passion for the poor and for those who are going hungry is very inspirational. Anything else to add on your part? No, except to say thank you. Thanks, for, uh, thanks, thanks to you, Corey, for actually standing with us. But thanks to our supporters out there um, who do such an amazing job because the world is getting hungrier. That's the reality of the situation. And uh, we've, we've all been impacted by COVID over here. But if you can imagine what hunger feels like to someone who just does not know if they're going to eat tonight, it's a different level. So we're very, very grateful for those who stand with us. That was Andy Harrington, Executive Director with the Canadian Food Grains Bank. Another look at what's happening in the markets heading into the close is coming up in just a moment. Time now for another look at today's farm news. This year's drought is having a major impact on crop yields in some areas. Milt Poyer with QGI Consulting compiles the statistics for the Egg Transport Coalition. He says this year's drought will mean less grain to move, but that doesn't necessarily mean better rail performance. The railways will adjust to demand. So if demand is low... The railways will figure out how low they think it is, and they'll start parking cars, they'll start uh, releasing train crews, and they'll start parking locomotives. So they will look to bring their cost base down as a railway for servicing grain, consistent with what they see uh, the market demand for movement being. Poye notes that for the 2020-21 crop year, CP continuously outperformed CN on a weekly basis. And Keystone Agricultural Producers has outlined four main priorities for the upcoming federal election. One of those focuses on economic development. Graham Schellenberg is CAPS Communications and Government Relations Coordinator. It's kind of a multi-pronged approach when it comes to economic development. It's, it's really crucial, as we know, both to rural residents and farm families. Uh, really what we're looking for is governments to consider and, and address the unique needs of rural families and rural, rural Manitobans. And, that includes infrastructure, rural connectivity, including broadband and cellular networks, uh, short-line railway funding, and, and child care accessibility. And we really think that these are going to be some crucial uh, items for, uh, you know, continued economic development that uh, a future government is, is going to need to look at. Other election priorities for CAP? Focus on business risk management programs, the role of producers as environmental stewards, and public trust in agriculture. I'll be back after this to wrap up today's program. We've come to the end of another Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. Today's closing numbers with more in-depth commentary on what's happening in the markets is coming up at 10 to 2 on the Markets Farm Program. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. Hope you can meet us back here on Monday starting at 12 noon.